Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to this third installment in this new series called Mercy and Grace, the power and the glory of God, or the glory and the power of God. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the perfect will of God. And you know, you may not understand how all of this is leading us into a full understanding of mercy and grace, but trust me, everything we're doing up until this point is just introduction because we got to make sure that you understand the really the the whole purpose of of uh, mercy and grace and really the whole purpose of all of the attributes of God so i promise you when you get to the end of this you are going to be amazed at how much you are able to step into whole new dimensions of mercy and grace all right so here we go talk about the perfect will of god so one of the most common questions really that's presented to Christian counselors and to Christian pastors is when people are just, they don't have a purpose, they don't have a clear sense of direction, and they are struggling with understanding what the will of God is for their lives. Now, unfortunately, um, religion has uh, really put us on a path of seeking to know the individual will of God. In other words, our personal, the personal will of God for us personally, ahead of actually knowing the will of God for the whole human race. And that is just the opposite of what you're supposed to do. I promise you this, if you seek first knowing the will of God for you personally, you might get some of it right, but you will be off course. And really, you will become obsessed with fulfilling uh, a sense of destiny that it may only exist in your own imagination. So here's one of the things that we have to realize is we can never find clearly uh, what, what the individual or personal will of God is for us until we know, believe, and understand God's will for the entire human race. And I know that sounds pretty complicated, but really when you know this, when this is part of your belief system, and you clearly understand God's purpose for the human race, it, it will really change everything about your theology, everything about how you interpret the Word of God, everything about how you apply the Word of God. So we find God's will for the human race as we grow in the full counsel of God. You know, ultimately, we're going to bring you into a, a, a capacity, a, a faith, an ability uh, to enter into the power and the glory of God, uh, and, and that's so important, but I, I really struggle with the title for this series because I really wanted to call it Mercy and Grace, the, the full counsel of God, but uh, uh, you'll understand the struggle that I had, but clearly when we get a little farther into this, you're going to realize why I settled in on the power and the glory of God because that's what you are going to be experiencing. Now, once we understand God's plan for the human race, for mankind, the amazing thing is 
that sets us on a path where the personal will of God for us will become abundantly evident. And uh, again, if you reverse this and you seek to know God's plan for you personally ahead of God's plan for the world, uh, you'll always be a little off track and you'll always be a little bit confused. Now, I do want you to understand this, that the way we actually discover God's plan for the human race, and then ultimately God's plan for us, is when we are committed to the full counsel of God. You can't pick and choose, lift out of context, different scriptures that you like and apply them to your life and ignore scriptures you don't like or that you don't understand, because that will alter your capacity to see God as he is, to understand God as he is, and under, even understand the scripture and what the scripture is saying in some situation. You know, when, when you discover that everything God does is motivated by love, for example, then you know what? You might read some kind of negative scripture. It sounds like God's going to do something mean and negative, and you go, well, you know what? Uh, that sounds like what it's saying, but obviously that can't be what it's saying because I know that God's love. So, so suddenly you know that, but you jump over here and let's say uh, uh, your concept of love didn't come out of the Bible. Let's say it came from Hollywood or someplace like that. And, uh, and, and it sounds like God is being, um, you know, demanding or, or difficult. Uh, then if you know that he does everything by love, then, you know, wait a minute. If this appears difficult, matter of fact, the apostle John said this in 1 John, basically he, you know, he says that, he says that uh, uh, the will of God's not hard. This is not difficult. You know, walking with God, obeying his commandments based on love is not a hard thing. And if it is hard, then there's a faith problem. And I'm not talking about the kind of faith that, you know, we were taught for the last 60 years. I'm talking about the kind of faith where it says, wait a minute, do I trust what God says? Do I trust the whole counsel of God? Because if I come up on something that seems hard, that seems difficult, then I got to say, how am I interpreting that? What's my basis for understanding it? If I don't understand that this is all about love and experiencing the goodness of God, then if I don't understand that, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate it or interpret it in a negative and difficult way. But uh, one of the things you want to realize is discovering and walking in the whole counsel of God. That sounds big. I mean, that's, that sounds like, boy, this is more than I can ever bite off and chew. But the real truth is what actually what you will actually discover is this is just a lifetime pursuit. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, and you know, you know, the Bible talks a lot about enduring until the end. And I think, I think we, sometimes we mistranslate that as losing our salvation or that sort of thing. That's, that's usually not what it's even referring to uh, when you take in the context. But people who endure to the end are people who are intimately engaged with God in a walk that never ends. And so it, it's not about losing your salvation. It's not about backsliding and getting sin. It's whether or not this is a lifetime journey for you. And if it's not a lifetime journey for you, you will hit a place where your life becomes stagnant and boring. Now, few Christians actually know and understand what God's really attempting to do in planet Earth. Even fewer Christians understand how he does what he does. And so, so with, each, with each one of these uh, steps 
where we where we are delineating the word of God, uh, we're getting farther and farther away from actually being able to enjoy life in a very easy, comfortable way. So very few Christians, like I say, actually understand what God is doing. Fewer of them even understand how he does what he does, and fewer still even understand why he does what he does the way that he does it. Now, you can't understand the why if you just go in and pick and choose your favorite verses. You can't understand the why unless you have a general understanding of God's plan, and you can see that you know, from the first verse in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation. I'm not saying you have to be a theologian about everything in between, but I'm saying if you can't see the consistency of God and his plan from beginning to end, you will be on and off. You'll be confused. You'll be frustrated. You'll be changing your theology. One day you're happy. One day you're afraid, whatever. So remember, the perfect will of God is discovered by hearing and believing the full counsel of God. And the perfect will of God is implemented when we first and foremost discover how to walk in God's purpose as a human being, his purpose for the world, his purpose for all people. And from that point forward, actually discovering our individual purpose becomes so easy. We actually discover it almost accidentally. And, you know, again, so many people are so frustrated because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Well, you, you can discover that so easily. Acts 20, which we referred to last week, where Paul, you know, was speaking to the uh, uh, leaders uh, from Ephesus, and he says, I, and this is in verse 26, he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul is making this direct connection between the blood of men, which, which is talking about their destruction, which is talking about them dying prematurely, which is talking about them being in conflict and and, and all the things that lead to uh, emotional and, and physical death. And he's connecting the innocence of the blood of people whose lives are being destroyed by sickness, poverty, and all these kinds of things. He is connecting that directly to whether or not you preach or teach, and really individually, do I believe the whole counsel of God? So blood is on the hands of any person who really picks and chews and leaves out pieces of the word of God uh, so they can pick their preferences. And usually we're picking preferences because we need some excuse for the places where we're cutting corners, because we really, really don't believe that God is so good that every aspect of his word brings us to a greater enjoyment and fullness in life. So to some degree, or in certain ways, we're killing people. Like so we may be, we may be killing their marriages, uh, because, because we teach some perverted concept uh, of relationships. We may be killing their, their whole family because we leave out how God wants you to prosper and succeed. And I'm not talking about the, the prosperity message, the crazy prosperity message, which is nothing but a, a message of greed. I'm not talking about that. We leave out the, we leave out the parts about how to raise children effectively uh, so they grow up and they become responsible. I mean, you just go down the list where we kill their families, we kill their happiness, we kill their peace, we, you know, we kill their love between the husbands and wives, we kill their ability to lead their children, and we destroy lives because we pick and choose the pieces that we want to. You say, what's this got to do with mercy and grace? You will see why, because you cannot 
experience mercy and grace if you depart from the word of God. Because, you know, grace is, doesn't come because you have faith for grace. Grace comes because you have faith uh, for the righteousness of God. You believe God, you believe his truth, and you believe his whole counsel and grace is, is, is the strength, the power, the capacity, the ability to do what the Word of God says that you can do through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in, in Romans 10, 17, we have one of those verses that has just been so taken out of context, so misquoted uh, for all of my whole Christian life, the majority of Christians I've ever talked to. You know, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I can remember as a new believer thinking, well, wait a minute, I know people that go to church every single week. And they're really not people of faith. They don't know how to walk in faith. They, they wouldn't know what to do if they had to lay hands on the sick and get them healed. They, they don't even know how to lead people to Jesus. I mean, I, I just went down this list in my mind. like, so. But they're hearing the word of God. Well, number one, it's not just any part of the word of God that builds faith. And it's not a, a negative message that, that builds faith. Actually, if you put that in context, it's saying that the the person who preaches the gospel of peace to you, uh, when you hear that because that's their message, then faith comes by hearing that particular message, which means when you're trying to build faith in people and the gospel of peace and the covenant of peace and the God of peace and the Prince of peace is not part of it, they're, they're not going to come to faith. They're not going to come to a comfortable trust in God. So so what you leave in, what you leave out determines whether or not you're leaving these people uh, to struggle the rest of their lives with a limited concept of who God is, a limited concept of the new covenant. Now, we went through Exodus 33, 18 through 23, and we don't have time to go read it again. Now, by the way, if you want to take a deep dive in all this stuff, then you can order my audio series for this. You can, you can download this. And... Uh, and for those of you who are committed to becoming disciples, you want a greater insight in this, you want to establish your heart, be sure and uh, either go to my website uh, and, or, or wherever it's being offered and, uh, and get the series, jump in and, uh, can, and start going through that series hand in hand with going through this video series. So now let's just, let's just look at some stuff here. Uh, uh, and, and, and Exodus 34, 5, it says that God descended in clouds, stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed to him the name of the Lord. So, you know, we have this long verse of all of these incredible attributes of God, um, you know, mercy, compassion, all these kinds of things. But, and then there's other things in this verse that we don't understand, but everything in this verse is an explanation of how God is proclaiming or revealing or manifesting his name. So this would mean that if I leave any of these aspects out of my belief system, then I'm taking the name of the Lord in vain because, because everything in the word of God uh, has to be understood first and for our first or the first step in the Old Testament was to say, okay, what are the names of God? And do I believe anything that contradicts the names of God? If I do, I'm wrong. I'm taking that name of the Lord in vain. And then, of course, we get the greater picture through the life, the ministry, and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means I can't interpret anything or leave out anything that uh, uh, manifests how Jesus lived, how he taught the word, how he, how he ministered to people. 
And then from those, from that basis, then I have, uh, I'm able to understand what is secured for me in the new covenant. And I can live under the provisions of the new covenant. But anytime I pick and choose or, or something that, that uh, either is contradictory to what has God has revealed about his name or his word or, or his son or his salvation or his covenant, uh, you know, if I pick and choose that, then really my, my faith, I'm going to struggle in a lot of areas. So uh, I'm going to run real quickly because I really want to get to this. I'm not giving full Hebrew uh, definitions and interpretations here. I'm just going to run through this. You know, the word merciful, because he says, you know, he says he declared himself, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he abounds in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. So the, that word merciful um, is very close to the word compassionate. And in the Hebrew, it's the word racham. And that, that is a word that talks about uh, a loving relationship that is, that is reciprocal. Both people are entered into it. Both people are fully committed to it. So mercy doesn't really, see, mercy is by all means conveys the idea that we're getting better than we deserve. But mercy actually is, is one of those attributes it's not so much a gift that we get, an experience that we have, as much as it is, as it is the character and nature by which God approaches us. We can always expect mercy. Then there's the word gracious, and the word, the word gracious is so interesting. In the Hebrew, it would mean to, to bend or to stoop in kindness to an inferior. So, so God, who is definitely the superior one here, it's almost like he bends down on one knee and says, you know, I'm going to be kind to you. I, I am here to, to bring you into all that I have for you. So that, that's literally the concept of graciousness. Of course, long-suffering is an interesting word because long-suffering is a person who can endure insult or endure being wrong over a, really a long period of time without reacting uh, in, in a violent way, without reacting in a way where, where he wants to retaliate. God never wants to retaliate. God never wants to punish for sin. And uh, once you come to realize that, the only problem you will ever have about approaching to God is when you don't want to get out of sin. And sadly, I know a lot of people who don't want to get out of sin. And so everything about their approach to God is hypocritical. They're saying, I, I want you to love me. I want you to give me mercy. I want you, you know, I want you to be patient with me, but I have no intention really of dealing with the sin in my life. Well, why does God care if you've got sin in your life? Well, there's a lot of reasons that we will get into, but the number one reason is because of the way it affects you. Sin is when whatever you're doing or believing causes you to fall short of the glory of God. And I'm talking about falling short of the glory of God in the sense that, you know, your character, you know, just. Uh, now you're a bad person kind of thing. It's like, no, the glory of God is a destination wherein we want to arrive. And uh, if we don't settle in there, then to any degree that we depart from the glory, the view, the opinion, the reality of God, then we slip into a false reality. We slip into to whatever is in our own heart and in the world around us. And then, of course, it says he abounds in goodness. Well, that word abounds means he's, he's flooded. He's covered over. 
it, he, he is uh, replete. And, uh, and so goodness really just kind of gets into that whole kind of a kind, general kindness that is based on the fact that God is good. Now, the, the word good, anytime you see the word good, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, one of the basic concepts you have to realize is, is the word good in the Hebrew always points to the concept of being in harmony. So he is, his kindness is that even though you don't deserve it, even though you've blown it, even though you put yourself in this horrible position, I want to bring you back into harmony. with Now, I'm not coming to you, you know, to beat you up. I'm not coming to you to judge you. I am coming to you so I can bring you back into harmony. And then, of course, uh, he's a God of truth, which interesting thing, truth, you know, we have a general concept of, of truth and, and what it is. But when you start looking at this Hebrew word, I'm just scratching the surface on all these words. Truth gets into the idea of something that builds you up and provides uh, support for you. And, and it makes you firm. It, it, it makes you faithful. It makes you, it brings you into a place of trustworthiness. It brings you into a place of uh, experiencing quiet and certainty and all of these things. So it, truth is just far more than, than it is, is what I'm hearing actually true or not. And then, of course, then he makes another reference to keeping mercy. And that word mercy, man, I'm just barely scratching the surface on this. This is the Hebrew word, chaseh. And this particular word, there is no other word in any other language in the world that's comparable to this word. And you nearly always find this word used in conjunction with another incredibly positive word, like, like the, the, the chaseh is used with mercy or it's used with compassion. And, and this represents a, a character trait of God's kindness. Of God. All of these words come together. And, and, and basically, whether you're talking about compassion, whether you're talking about goodness, whatever, it's something that you can experience in a way that no other group of people in the world can experience. You can't experience this outside of God. You can't experience this just because you know the theology of it. This is something that you experience in the intimacy uh, with God. And then in verse uh, uh, 34, 7, it says, it goes on to say, and by no means clearing the guilty. Now, man, alive. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Suddenly, it sounds like he has canceled all of these good things that he just said. Because, see, we think we have this, this humanistic concept of what mercy is. And we have this concept that God's mercy really means that uh, he just overlooks it. That is absolutely not what goodness means. It is not what love means. It's not what mercy means. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things that, that he says, and, and see, we don't see this as a positive attribute. This is a positive attribute of this mercy and love that you, you can't experience anywhere. Why, you know, how is it merciful that God will not clear? That word clear really just means to declare innocent to let them go exempt or free from responsibility or obligation. So, so what's a, what, why is this a good word? Well, because if God does not, if God were to clear you and just pronounce you as innocent, even though you're not, then the real truth is you could never experience any of the good things of God. 
You know, we don't understand that God as a righteous God and as a just God, he has to do everything that he does within the bounds of what he has determined to be justice and what he has defined as love and mercy and all, and all these kinds of things. So if God just said, I'm just going to ignore all the destructive things that you do, that would be like a parent who sees that their child is a, is a drug addict and just says, you know what, die if you're going to die. I'm, you know, well, I can't deal with this. I can't put up with you because, you know, this is just too much for me. Well, it's not about the parent. It's about the child. And so God said, I can't, I can't leave you to die in your sins. I can't leave you with what this is going to do to your life, what this is going to do to everything that's going wrong in your life. And so, so he, if, he did, if he let us live in sin and iniquity, without bringing us a way to get cleansed from it, then the real truth is he would be saying, I'm just abandoning you to your own death and destruction. And God's never going to do that. Verse 34, 7, this is where it gets incredibly interesting. This is one of the most uh, misinterpreted verses, uh, maybe, maybe in the whole Bible. There's a lot of false doctrines that come out of this. He says, and, and he says, so I'm not going to let this stuff stand but I'm visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, Dennis Prager, who is a, a Hebrew scholar, and, uh, uh, you know, I love his writings. You just have to always remember with these guys, if they don't believe in Jesus, there are so many places they cannot really understand what these scriptures uh, are, are fully meaning. But he said that word visiting in the Hebrew could be uh, and is often translated uh, remembering. So he's not saying, so there's this whole doctrine of generational curses that says, you know, once your fathers do something, it can, then there's some kind of spirit that can come down on you and then on your kids and the kids. No, the Bible says that can't happen. The Bible says, it says that the, uh, the teeth of the children are not set on edge because the parents eat the grapes. Um, it, it violates everything about God's justice. So when you think about this, he's remembering the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Then what is that really talking about? Really, this is a lot of why God can be patient with me and you right now today. You know, socialists present the idea that all problems are caused by, you know, our environment, by the people that influence us. Well, you know what? That's pretty much true. But the problem is, they say, well, since it's true, then we don't, you know, we're not going to put those people in jail for murder. We're not going to put those people in jail for crimes. They're never going to have to be responsible. They're never going to have to be accountable. So that would be the equivalent to God saying, I'm just going to let you die in your sin. Well, while they get half of this right about the influences of people on our lives, uh, the part that they don't get right is that you still have to be responsible. Now, you can deal with it. You can get forgiveness. That's what the blood of Jesus is about. But God is saying, I'm going to remember, you did not come to become the rebellious person you are without help. You didn't, this didn't happen to you free from influence of other people. And I'm going to remember that. And because I remember how you got here, I'm always going to be compassionate. Yeah, I'm going to follow this up some more in the next message that we have. I'm telling you, this is gonna expand your concept of grace 
and mercy and peace more than anything you've ever done. Listen, I look forward to talking to you next week. God bless you. Share this with everybody. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.